What a great time of just coming into the Father's presence with the song and the singing, the, the way that you listen to the Word and coming in before Him in prayer. Thank you so much, family, and I've just enjoyed our time this morning. He certainly is more than enough for us. I go back a number of years pastoring, and every time I've pastored three churches, and I try to do something at the start of each of those and that was to try to get a little history of where that particular church had been and a little bit about their background. Down in East Texas, the church that Joel and I served at, called Central Baptist, had kept all of their minutes from their business meetings going back really almost to the 1800s. And at the turn of the century, I was reading some of the minutes from their business conference. I believe these minutes came from 1904. And what struck me was in this particular business conference, it was noted and someone brought up that they had seen brother so-and-so and and brother so-and-so and sister so-and-so and sister so-and-so. They had gone to a ball. Now, for those that don't know what that is, it was a dance. And that wasn't looked upon very well among Baptists. Uh, Primarily, and there were some good reasons in many cases, because of the places that the dances took place, the fact that in most of those places, alcohol was a part of the festivity, and so... Baptist historically had come out against the rules. Now, I know Baptist, and I understand I don't smoke, I don't drink. Uh, I, don't, I don't smoke, I don't chew, and I don't go with girls that do. You know, I, that was kind of my raising. Well, anyway, two deacons were assigned to go check out this room. Beeman Davis was one of them, I recall that. And the next month, here's how the minutes read. Deacon Davis and Deacon so-and-so reported back. They talked to Brother so-and-so and and the other fella, and they admitted that they had gone to the ball. They apologized, asked our forgiveness. They promised they would never do it again. Sister so-and-so and and sister so-and-so, they admitted they also went to the ball. They requested that we withdraw their name from the church membership. They had a good time. They're joining the Methodist church. (laughs) True story. You kids don't know, but there were days when churches, church people, and they practiced sometimes church discipline over things that really were not rising to, I believe, eternal issues and levels that affected the kingdom. But the fact is that over the years, many churches that might have practiced discipline one time to the excess, in our generation, churches have oftentimes gone to the other extreme, and they've never practiced any discipline at all. It's not anymore that there's something that won't be tolerated nowadays in many churches across America. Everything 
is tolerated. I want you to take your Bibles and open them with me to a passage that if we weren't walking through the letter of 1 Corinthians, I would dare say that probably not many times will you hear this passage preached in anybody's church. We're going into 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And the Apostle Paul is dealing with a situation in which the Corinthian church had become so tolerant of sin in their midst that they didn't consider anything outside of the bounds of being able to do. And this is what Paul writes that he heard. He said, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that does not occur even among pagans. A man has his father's wife, and you're proud. Shouldn't you rather have been filled with grief and have put out of your fellowship the man who did this? Even though I'm not physically present, I am with you in spirit, and I have already passed judgment on the one who did this just as if I were present. When you were assembled in the name, in the name of our Lord Jesus, and I am with you in spirit, and the power of our Lord Jesus is present, hand this man over to Satan so that the sinful nature may be destroyed and his spirit saved on the day of the Lord. Your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast that you may be a new batch without yeast as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival, not with the old yeast, the yeast of malice and wickedness, but with the bread without yeast, the bread of sincerity and truth. I have written you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or the greedy or, and swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave this world. But now I'm writing you that you must not associate with anyone who calls himself a brother, but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater, a slanderer, a drunkard, or a swindler. With such a man, do not even eat. What business of mine is it to judge those outside of the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside expel the wicked man from among you. Now, Paul, dealing with this situation, is really letting the church know this. God calls his church to be holy. God is calling his church to be holy. The word holy, family, means to be set apart for special use. Just in the same way that you have a dish that is for company reserved, and you would not put that out very dirty. You want it to be clean and the best it can be. God wants his church to be clean and holy in their lives. He wants his church to live the way that he intended before sin entered into this world. And when sin entered, everything in the world was turned upside down. 
And God wants his church to show the world what living right side up is all about. And so out of this passage, I want to share with you some principles of God calling his church to be holy. And what we ought to do in our lives and what we would seek to do. And we have practiced this in order that we might be a church holy before God. First of all, because of that principle that God calls us to be holy as a church, we teach God's requirements for holy living. Listen, holy living is happy living. Listen, kids, God never tells us anything that is designed to hurt us God only tells us how to live in order to help us, that our lives might be happy and whole before Him. You see, holy living is the way that God designed us to be. You know, whenever you go out and you buy a car, they always give you a manual for how to operate that car. Well, I don't know about you, but I've never had a car that looked like this. That is a Porsche 917. You need to know something about this car, because I'm going to tell you a story. This is an original Porsche 917. When Porsche built that car, they built it specifically for the 24-hour Le Mans race years ago. And this car, one like it, because they only built a few, was the first car that Porsche ever built that won the Le Mans race. Well, this car was owned by a man named David Piper. That car, because it's so unique and original, was valued at around $2 million. Well, there was a British journalist who had done some racing... And he got with Mr. Piper, who owned this car. And he had this idea, and they were going to race this car. It hadn't been raced in many years. They were going to race it, not in the Le Mans, but they were just going to race it for a photo shoot against another vehicle. Mr. Piper gave permission to this journalist to race it. He said, but I just need to let you know, don't take this car over 7,000 RPMs. Now, you car guys, I don't know anything about RPMs. I just know that's a big engine to begin with. Well, this journalist got in, and he just couldn't help himself. He revved the car up going around the track to 8,200 RPMs and blew the engine of a $2 million car. Now, how would you like to explain that to your neighbor? The fact is, in chapter 5, verse 1, Paul says this. It's reported that there is sexual immorality among you. When God designed us, he designed us male and female, man and woman, He designed us so that we would have relationship, 
that would be for both the procreation of the human race and the pleasure of couple to live together in oneness. Therefore, man leaves father and mother, cleaves to his wife, and the two become one flesh. God's design is one man. If he marries, he marries one woman. They make one commitment, and they hold that commitment for the rest of their lives. Sexual activity before marriage, outside of marriage, anything outside of that man and woman commitment is wrong and it's going to blow out the engine of the car. That's God's design. And man here in Corinth was living in an open relationship with someone who was not his wife. It said it was his father's wife. We don't know if his father was deceased. He may have been an older father, and this woman may have been the same age as the man. We do, by implication, know that this man was a leader in the church. He was known in the church, and he was known in the community. And Paul is saying to them, it is reported that there is sexual immorality. It's outside of God's design. We also know that this situation was looked at, and even the Romans and the Greeks understood that this relationship was wrong, and they weren't known for their moral standards. There was a false teaching that rose up in the early church called antinomianism. Anti meaning no, and nomian meaning law. In other words, antinomianism was a false teaching within the church that said there is no law that covers believers in Jesus Christ. You see, because believers are saved by faith and not by works, then no matter what you do in the flesh, there's no law that precludes it because it's always about faith and Christ has covered everything. So do whatever you want. It really doesn't matter. James, the writer, is inspired and he would say no. Uh, Jude, the gospel writer would say no. And Paul would say no. Paul was not even as shocked in the actions of the man, though, as he was in the attitude of the people in the church. Listen, when God put ten commandments in his Bible, they weren't ten suggestions. They were commands for our good for relationships to work together. And Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 5, look at it. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery. They are idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, Factions, envy, 
drunkenness, orgies, and he just then sweeps the cross and he says, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this, that's the pattern of their lives. They will not inherit the kingdom of God. Why do we teach? Why do we teach standards and God's moral standards? Because kids, these are healthy. They are right. They are God's standards for living life in a way that God designed you to be so that it will not blow out the engine of your life. We teach God's standards and requirements for holy living. But now the second thing Paul is saying to the church, he caught on them about this relationship in the church, but we need to know we call are called to be holy because God wants us to build relationships for people outside of the church for Christ. It's a very interesting comment. Look at verse 9 and 10. Paul ended up saying, I've written to you in this letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, but then he says, well, not meaning the people outside of the walls in, in the world who are immoral, greedy, swindlers, or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave the world. No, what did Jesus say in Matthew chapter 5? Jesus said in Matthew 5, you are the what? Say it. The salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it made, be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled on by men. And then he goes on, he says, you're the what? The light of the world. A city on a hill that cannot be hid. And so he says, the people don't put a light, a lamp under a a basket, a bowl, and so they put it on a stand so it gives light to the house and everything. And you are the light of the world. Let your light shine. Where? Before men. So that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father who is in heaven. We hold up the gospel. We hold up the gospel and we hold up the standards of God because they're right. They're best for people. They're best for non-believers who would follow those standards. They won't get them into heaven if they follow them, but they're best for their lives and they're best for society. But it's not our call to condemn the world for acting like the world. In John chapter 3, verse 17, Jesus said the same way. Jesus said, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. He that believes is not condemned, but he that believes not is condemned already. Why? Because he has not believed in the name of God's only Son. You know, it was the pattern of Jesus, and he was criticized by this, but Jesus had a pattern that he associated with people that were outside in the world who lived in ways that they were condemned by the Pharisees who did the things on the outside, but they had the heart wrong on the inside. And Jesus was called a friend of who? Sinners. Say that. He was a friend of who? Sinners. He, he associated outside. Well, what Jesus did is very informative. He accepted people out in the world and let them know God loved them. And he wanted a relationship with him, but he never affirmed sinful behavior. 
Jesus never let people know or told people in any way that you can just live any way you want to live and be right with God. He accepted people without affirming their sin. Hear me. People don't go to hell because of sinful behavior. They go to hell because of the sin of disbelief in Jesus as personal Lord and Savior. But when the belief in Jesus comes into my life, the Holy Spirit of God came into my life, and the Holy Spirit of God gives me the power to change my life and then walk according to the way God would have me to live. God wants me to build relationships. But build those relationships, why? Because he wants all people to be saved. He wants me to go out and live a holy life that is different from the world, but to love the world and by demonstration of that life, be an attractive life that shows off the gospel. And that's another reason that Paul is so insistent that the church exercise discipline in this case of a public leader in the church living in such a way that this man is not only violating God's standards, but he's also out in the world, he is showing a bad image. And he says, third, the principle is the reason that we call people to live holy, and the reason there would be discipline is we need to guard the reputation of our church family and of Christ. Look at what he says in two, verse 2, or verse 1. This kind of situation, it doesn't even occur among the pagans. A man has his father's wife. One of the main excuses outside in the world that people give for not going to church is because there are hypocrites in the church. And I've heard many people say over the years, well, I'm just as good as the people that I know who go down there. And the fact is that those excuses will never stand up before God on the day of judgment. There's not a person in this world that will ever be able to look at Jesus in the eye and say, the reason I didn't believe in you was because of the way that that person acted. However, the way that that person acted may have so turned them off to hearing what Jesus had to say for their lives. It caused them ultimately to go to hell, but they'll still stand on their own for that rejection. The fact is that on Judgment Day, the world will have to stand before God to give an account for rejecting Jesus. But you and I are called to demonstrate the gospel. And if our church and if our lives do not give a good demonstration, and it is us that kept somebody from knowing the Lord Jesus Christ, we will give an account for that. Paul wrote in 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 14, there's a little situation. He says, I counsel younger widows to marry, to have children, to manage their homes. Why? To give the enemy no opportunity for slander. I don't want them tempted in such a way that they'll end up doing something that shows off a poor reflection of the good, good news of Jesus Christ. When he talked about the qualifications of a pastor, or a deacon in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 7. Paul says he must have a good reputation with outsiders. 
so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. How seriously does God take his reputation? Do you want to know how serious he takes it? Go to Numbers chapter 20. And in Numbers chapter 20, Moses and the children of Israel had been out in the wilderness for many years. Remember, Moses had dreamed of going into the promised land. And right after going across the Red Sea, the children of Israel got to the edge of the promised land. And there at the edge of the promised land, they could look out. And they could see across the Jordan River how good that land was. Well, they said, you know what? Before we go in, we ought to come up with a committee to go in and search it out. And so they went in and sent 12 men into that land. And they came back 40 days later, and those guys said, you know what? That is a great land. It is a big land. It flows with milk and honey. And 10 of the guys on that committee said, but there is no way we can do it. I mean, it is too tough. The people are too big. The walls of the city are too high. We cannot do this task. Joshua and Caleb said, yes, we can. God's sending us. But the people listened to the ten spies. It crushed Moses. They ended up coming, and they ended up wanting to stone Moses for taking them to the edge of the land that they said, we can't go in and take. And so they wanted to stone him. God took care of Moses at that day. And then for a number of years, 39 years, all they did was bury people who had refused to believe God. Well, after all those years of complaining, many years into it, Moses' sister Miriam died at a time when the children of Israel were out in a wilderness area. And the people began immediately after Miriam died, they started griping about not having enough water. And that, in the Moses' grief, God said, go speak to a rock. And Moses was upset. He was grieving over the loss of his sister Miriam. And he took his staff, and instead of speaking to the rock, Moses struck a rock two times. He was angry. Water came out of the rock. The people got their water. But this is what God said to Moses. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Moses, because you didn't trust me enough, you didn't trust in me enough to honor me as holy. In the sight of all the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land that I give them. One time, God took the reputation of the leader so seriously that God would not allow Moses to ultimately go into the promised land. He disciplined Moses over Moses' disobedience. The reputation of our church family is a reflection of Jesus Christ in this community. The reputation of our church family is a reflection of Jesus Christ in our community. Family, let's all be aware. Be aware of the reflection that you give, the life that you live, the way that you behave in your classroom, the way that you react in your neighborhood, the way that you interact in the grocery store or with the waitress or waiter in the restaurant. 
everything that you do in your word and in your action, when you're disappointed or when you're upset, everything you do ultimately has a reflection upon the glory of Jesus Christ. And God is calling you and me to live lives in such a way that reflects well upon the one who saved us. And then finally, when there's a need for discipline because the reputation of the church is at stake, it's someone who is very blatantly living in a way that's going to damage the cause of Christ, then we need to seek to be redemptive in any discipline. In 1 Corinthians 5.5, 5, Paul writes and he says this, hand this man over to Satan so that the sinful nature may be destroyed and his spirit saved on the day of the Lord. Now, this idea of handing him over to Satan is essentially saying, I want you to remove him temporarily from fellowship, definitely take him out of leadership position, allow him to receive those spiritual consequences of being out of fellowship and out of the protection of God's grace for a period of time. Now, listen, good parents, and and all of you parents are great parents, Good parents understand that children, kids, children naturally in our lives, because of the way of our sin nature, all of us were just like this. Children naturally will end up doing silly things and oftentimes make decisions that can be detrimental to their very lives. And so good parents understand that you need to discipline your children. And they don't do it because they dislike the child. They do it because they love the child. Well, we are a family. We are a family of God. And if there's ever a need for discipline, we don't seek to do it punitively. We always want to do it redemptively out of love and a humble attitude, recognizing that every one of us are sinners before God who have been given the grace of a Savior. In Galatians chapter 6, Paul writes it like this. And he says, each one should carry his own load. Paul says, bear one another's burdens and fulfill the law of Christ. Bear one another's burdens and fulfill the law of Christ. In chapter 6, verse 1 and 2. When we have discipline, we need to do it with love, with respect, with humbleness and humility, with faith and in a desire to help. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul ended up writing a second letter to the Corinthian believers. And he made this statement. Some scholars believe he's talking about someone else. I personally am with commentators who believe he's talking about the same man that he's talking about in 1 Corinthians. Because Paul says, if anyone has caused grief, he's not so much grieved me as he's grieved all of you to some extent, not to put it too severely, But he says, now, he goes on and he said, then I want you now to take that man and I want you then to uh, bring him back and I want you to forgive him. The punishment that was inflicted by the majority is sufficient. So now, listen, bring him back, love on him, forgive him and let him be restored back so that he won't be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. And I think what we see in these two letters is that the Apostle Paul said, church family, love on people. 
And when there's something that a person has walked in a way that is hurting them, their lives, it's hurting the reputation of the church, deal with them in a loving and a caring way. And then draw them back. Wrap your arms around them in their lives. You know, it's been a long time since the Dallas Cowboys have been in the Super Bowl. I, what has it been, 70 years or something like that? But it's been a long time, since 95, I think. Out of that, those 17 years, those of us who, have, who follow them, because some of you could care less, but those of us who do follow them recognize that one of the things that the teams in the 90s had was something called chemistry. Chemistry. They worked well together. Quite frankly, they had some great athletes, but the whole was better than the individual parts. And you can watch any championship team, and I'll guarantee you, typically the championship team may not be the team that has the best individual athletes, but they will be a team that works best together. What has happened with the Dallas Cowboys more than once is in trying to get a great athlete to turn the table, we've watched, those of us sports fans, have watched decisions made that brought in an individual that by their attitude and their actions ended up being a poisonous toxin to the chemistry of the whole. And that person ended up having to be put out for the chemistry to ever be restored. And that's what God is saying in this. The church family needs a chemistry together. And any time that someone begins to live in a way and flaunts it openly, and the church doesn't lovingly deal with it, it affects the chemistry of that church being able to have an impact in this world. And so I call on you and I call on me this morning. I call on us to make a renewed commitment in our lives to live holy. That this week, kids, when you go to class, when you go to school, live holy before God. When you go off to your business this week, go to your business this week with a commitment to live holy for God. When you are in your home, with your spouse. Make a commitment this week, a renewed commitment to affirm it, to live holy before God. God is calling his church to be holy. Be holy for Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, the impact of holiness is something that every one of us has to take seriously before you in our lives. We recognize that we're all sinners. And Lord, there's nothing that we've done that merits heaven for our lives. And Father, there are things that I know that maybe in my life, I haven't done like this man in the scripture, but I know that I've had in my life many other things that, Lord, were not right. And you outlined them in your word. And so, Father, I recognize that all of us need your grace. So, Father, this morning, I pray that all across this auditorium, that you're hearing right now people privately before you saying, Lord, I commit myself afresh to holy life. There's some that need to have repentant hearts right now. 
about something this week, about a secret sin that nobody else knows, but they know it's not holy. God, I pray that you'll bring conviction to the individual heart. Lord, I pray right now that you'll draw people that have been called to be a part of this church family. Lord, today that you're calling them to be a part of a church family that stands for truth, that stands for moral integrity. And Father, you're calling people to be a part of that, that we might be a testimony in this world stronger than ever. So Lord, I pray for that right now in Jesus' name. As your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, I'm telling this morning that if you've never given your heart to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you may be a teenager, a child, man or a woman. If you've never given your heart to Jesus Christ, listen, you can't get into heaven by going to church or by trying to do good. But neither will you miss heaven by anything bad you've done. The fact is, all are sinners. All you have to do this morning is say, Lord Jesus, I'm sorry for my sin. Please come into my heart. And he's ready and he longs to save you today. If you're not sure that Jesus is your Savior, I'm going to ask you to invite you to come from the balcony here on the floor. Come and talk with one of our pastors and let us pray with you. Some of you are Christians and you don't have a church home. You need a place to stand with other believers. We invite you to come and be a part of what God's doing. Will you stand very quietly to your feet? And as we begin to sing, you come right now. God's to the cross, somebody to the cross, right now. To the cross, I cling. Of its suffering, I do dream. Of its work, I do sing. Only my Savior. Both bruised and crushed Show that God is love And God is just At the cross you Beckon me God calling someone right now gently. to come are you What a priceless gift. This will be our priceless gift. We'll wait. Undeserved life. Do you have a place where you're tying in? That you're connected in a family of God? This is your time, and we'll wait for you, but we won't let linger. You call me out of death. 
Love 